1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast, special mailbag edition. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, it's been an exciting week so far around uh, Basketball Conference HQ. How are you doing? You want to talk to the people a little bit today?
0: Yeah. So we've talked about this a few different times this year, how the podcast has been continuing to gain traction. So if you're an A1 Day 1 listener of this podcast, thank you, number one.
1: Love the OGs. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. For those of you who are new to the podcast, and we have several new listeners, uh, make sure to throw us a rating, a review on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out on every major platform, wherever you enjoy listening, if you do enjoy listening to this. Um, (laughs) Rate, review, and please hit the subscribe button. It's really important to us, and we're all about cultivating a bigger listenership, which is something we've been doing a nice job of this year, certainly. And we've been gaining traction the last couple of years, but really this year, um, this podcast is really starting to take off. So thank you all of you for listening, but yeah, make sure to rate review and subscribe.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and as we've mentioned before, share us with your friends. Everyone's got that ACC yes. person in their life that, needs to try to make sense of of what's going on at Syracuse. So make sure that person knows to uh, come check out our podcast. Yeah, it's it's election
0: day. And the only vote I care about you casting is for our podcast. So hit the subscribe button.
1: That's correct. And vote for Pedro. (laughs) <laughs> Vote for Pedro. Mike, we're, we're, as we mentioned, we're going to do a, a little mailbag episode here. We've got a couple emails that have built up over the last couple weeks. we got some good responses on Twitter. Um, and so we, I thought we got a lot of really good questions here to talk about. We just take a few minutes. We haven't had a chance to really do this and get out of the week-by-week the, the week grind here a little bit. Um, so let's just, you know, go through some questions, talk about some kind of tangential topics here as it relates to a lot of these ACC teams. And, and the first one, I thought this was a, a great question. It actually required a little bit of research that got a little bit sideways. Um, a good friend, longtime listener Cody Millis, as uh, Miami guy, reaches out to us and says, What happens if Clemson beats Notre Dame and both Notre Dame and Miami win out from there? Who gets the second spot in the ACC championship game against Clemson? And that's a great question, Cody. And and Mike, we did a little bit of research here, and this is where it gets a little funny, is that these two teams would then be four and one, or would each be one-loss teams in the conference. And the way that we are doing the tiebreaker this year, uh, first off, is head-to-head competition. These teams don't play. Um, But it, it, well, first of all, take a step back. It is initially decided by win percentage in conference games. So a there's an assumption here that both of these teams would play all of their remaining conference games and b that they would win both you know, all of those remaining conference games, Mike first of all, do you feel like that is a safe assumption?
0: That's a very anti twenty twenty take isn't it mm-hmm I feel like they almost have to lose a random game here or there for it to kind of fully for us to come full circle here with twenty twenty in the a c c and across college football. They almost have to lose a game they're they're not supposed to,
1: yeah. Well, Um, and and I feel like both of these teams, you know, with the right game plan and the right set of circumstances, either one of them, I do feel like they can be beaten.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are two imperfect teams. We've talked about that multiple times, right? Like Miami and both teams struggle at doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Miami, the question that we had come into the year with the Hurricanes was, what was the downfield passing game going to look like? And it's pretty funny because in the last month or so, The downfield passing game has looked better, and it's been the running game that struggled a little bit outside De'Ara King. who has been really good. Yep. Um, But he's found a little bit of something in the passing game of late, and Miami, as they faced better run defenses, has come to struggle running the football, which is a little bit of a surprise given the start they got off to this year in that department. Notre Dame, uh, it, it was kind of the inverse, right? Notre Dame couldn't throw the ball worth anything for like five weeks. And then the last couple of weekends, they've found a passing game a little bit to go with the really strong running game they have with Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams, which look, I mean, both teams have strength on defense. They're both very good defensive teams. Notre Dame certainly a little bit better defensively than Miami at this point, but both very good defensive units. And both kind of struggle to do the same thing, or at least have the most questions about their offense with consistency around the same thing. So they can certainly be beat.
1: Yeah. I mean, in, in Notre Dame, it's interesting because you look at them and it's like they've, they've only allowed 20 points once so far this year. I mean, defensively, they have been you know, near impenetrable. By the way, the, the 20 points that they gave up was 26 points they gave up to Florida State of all teams. Um, right. Now, keep in mind that the, the, the list of teams that they've played so far is Duke, South Florida, Florida State, Louisville, Pitt, and Georgia Tech. And so Louisville is probably the only really decidedly good offense that they've played. Agree. And that was a weird sideways, you know, slow, limited possessions kind of game. So it it didn't really get high scoring. Yeah. (laughs) Now, the next three games that they play are Clemson at Boston College and at North Carolina. So those are going to be three teams that they have the ability to uh, all three of them can score a little bit. Can beat you over the top and and do some things. So we'll see if it if it holds up. But yeah, I, both these teams, as mentioned, I mean they're they're still a little bit flawed. Uh, Miami has developed a bit of a downfield passing attack, but it's it's very explosive play based. It's not very efficient. So we'll see if that can hold up. Now back to the original question of if these teams, uh, if if Notre Dame loses and both teams then win out from here, then what happens? And Mike, you basically have to go way down the, the tiebreak here. There's a whole lot of stuff about head-to-head competition, and then you know how did they each perform about you know against the the best team in the conference and all this stuff. And all that would all be equal because they would it's have both, they would have both <laughs> lost to Clemson, and they would have both beaten everybody else that they played, whether they had those opponents in common or not. So finally, Mike, step five of six is the tied team with a higher ranking. By the team rating score metric provided by Sports Source Analytics following the conclusion of regular season games, so Sports Source Analytics would be the ones basically determining who's going to go to the ACC Championship. And if somehow, Mike, if those scores were somehow equal,
0: please I get you, to the last step. The I kid last you step not, is best.
1: the representative shall be chosen by a draw as administered by the commissioner or co- commissioner's designee. How 2020 would that be? To literally, yeah, pick who gets to go to the ACC Championship by coin flip or names out of a hat. Yeah, exactly. I need
0: it in my life. I need it in my life. I don't care about sports source analytics. I don't care about common record against, you know, record against common opponents and who has the higher win percentage against top competition in the conference. I don't care about any of that. Let's get to picking names out of a hat, baby. Let's get to step six.
1: Miami fans would lose their bleeping minds. over that oh my gosh yeah if, if that's how you don't get to go to the acc championship is you lost a coin toss to notre dame like
0: oh and i know that notre dame is new to the acc this year but it's the same sort of deal with their fan base and how irritated and angry they would be they're mm-hmm. just as rabid as miami fans it would be fantastic
1: yep absolutely uh mike next question mr andrew parker when will you all bring a real guest on <laughs> To which I say, Andrew, we've been inviting you on this podcast for years. (laughs) You haven't really sent us your schedule, so uh, we'll we'll book you at some point. We'll book you. (laughs) Give us a call. We'll 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 contact you. you, uh, Our people will get in touch with your people, and uh, we'll make sure we schedule an appearance. How's that? That's right. That's right. Thank you, Andrew Parker, for writing in here. Um, Mike, next question. I thought this was an interesting one, too, uh, from Luca Carroll. He writes in and says, What will the head coach market look like next year? Assuming most schools keep coaches this year due to COVID and money issues, are there any chances that my Panthers get a half decent head coach next offseason? Or will the market be flooded with teams looking? And that's an interesting perspective, I think. And first of all, Mike, we had this conversation a little bit yesterday, and we've we've talked about it briefly in the past is like, well, you know, how long is Pat Narduzzi going to be for this Pittsburgh job, you know, or when are they gonna get tired of him? And I, I got to say, like, I feel weird having that conversation because then you go look up his record and you say, well, it, it hasn't been that good. It's like he's won seven or eight games every year. And at that point, you know, you're firing him like it's, it's kind of a strange thing. And yet I could also, I guess, justify the desire to move on by realizing that the team is pretty stagnant. Um, that there's not a lot of development going on that, you know, that it doesn't it's not that fun to watch in a lot of ways. I for, I mean I guess start there Mike like can we really justify paying a buyout and firing a Pat Narduzzi for still kind of keeping his team at least afloat in the ACC I mean consistently making bowl games and all that at a, at a place like Pittsburgh
0: yeah like what's what's the ceiling for Pitt like is it Tony Dorsett Pittsburgh probably not in 2020 right yeah so that's the question you got to ask yourself first, is what's the ceiling realistically if you're a Pittsburgh fan, or what do you believe the ceiling is? And you got to honestly look in the mirror and decide what the ceiling is because I don't think that's a question that is that we can easily answer, right? Um, Pitt's got this proud tradition of being a good football program historically, but in 2020, realistically, their ceiling does feel like eight wins.
1: I feel like it could be better than that. Like, in, in in my reasoning here is like, look at this Pittsburgh defense, and look at especially last year how good they were. Like, they were dominant. They were one of the top probably seven or eight defenses in all of college football last year. They were awesome. And so, at that point, you don't even have to score that much to win most of your games, and yet you lost five times. Like, you almost lost to Eastern Michigan in the in the Quick Lane Bowl, and like, it's 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 not ridiculous. I don't think to to ask for an offense to just. You know, be able to do something a little bit average or above average to be able to, you know, go with that defense and then result in a few more wins. I think that's perfectly reasonable to say that. My my thing with
0: Pittsburgh is they're losing five or six games a year with a schedule in the Coastal Division that they play on a regular basis, where they should be performing quite a bit better. Yep, and. My thing is that the way Pittsburgh is structured, right? They've always been built on a good running game and a good defense. But when's the last time Pittsburgh has had a quarterback that you look at and you're like, "That guy is going to throw your way to win you a football game"? Nathan Peterman doesn't count.
1: Yeah, that that wasn't a quarterback thing as much as a scheme thing, I would say. Right. So um, that's
0: my that's my biggest thing. It's been a while.
1: Tom Savage. Mac probably. Brown. Or not, not Mac Brown. Uh, Max Brown, sorry.
0: Ma- yeah, Max Max Brown. Yeah, the Max Brown experience. There you go. Yeah, yeah. The
1: no, most it's, it's overhyped.
0: Been he, he was the most overhyped prospect in the history of college football. Max Brown. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and, and I was looking again at this yesterday, and I, and I mentioned to you, Mike. Since 2017, Pittsburgh is 15 and 14 in ACC play. So again, kind of just barely keeping their heads above water. Overall, Narduzzi is 26 and 19, but that was after going 11 and 5 his first two years at, at, at Pittsburgh. So, right. Very much just like a keep-your-head-above-water situation. Um, Doesn't seem like there's a lot of development going on at this point, especially offensively. I mean, you're on, I don't know, at least your third offensive coordinator here in Mark Whipple, and it's not great.
0: Yeah. I mean, the offense is what's holding Pittsburgh back. There's no question about it. And it's funny to say that because for a few years there, it was the defense that was holding Pittsburgh back. I mean, the conversation we've had repeatedly on this podcast is – when is Michigan State's defense under Pat Narduzzi going to show up? Mm-hmm. And the last couple of years, now this year the pass defense is just atrocious. but yeah, the running defense, bad. yeah, but the rushing defense is one of the best in the conference. The best in the conference, I guess, statistically right now.
1: Worth mentioning and, too, the pass defense just lost Paris Ford, who opted out yesterday. Yeah, so not <laughs> good. It's
0: it's all downhill from here. I, I don't know how that gets any better when you lose one of your best players in the secondary. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the offense right now and until pittsburgh starts recruiting at a high level from an offensive playmaker skill position standpoint outside of running backs which look pitts got a bunch of four-star running backs on their roster but they can't run the ball right now yeah which it doesn't make a lot of sense
1: no that's i mean traditionally at pittsburgh like it's it's like the same thing with with boston college like these are teams that traditionally have played a very physical brand of football you know heavy on running the ball and all this stuff and all of a sudden they're both pretty terrible at it. It's kind of kinda of bizarre. Um, let's go back to the, the original question here, Mike, is, is what will the job market look like and what are the chances that the Panthers can get a a, a good uh a good name there, we'll say. And Mike, we, we put together a little list of coaches that we think realistically could, you know, not start the twenty twenty two season with their current job. And there's there's three categories we looked at here. There's kind of the fire, the retire, and the jumping ship. You know, the the guys that's going to maybe look to go elsewhere. Um, And and a couple of these are much more of a stretch than others. So we'll say that Um, the potential fire candidates, we would say, I guess is Narduzzi. Definitely Dino Babers and guy we talked about before the season a lot and before last season even. uh, But I think the seats cooling a little bit if they've been better this year is Dave Doran.
0: Yep. Yeah, I agree.
1: I think realistically, if any of them are getting fired, uh, I mean, it's almost certainly got to be Babers. But at the same time, I could see it with Narduzzi. It it would be similar to a a Steve Adazio firing of this program's not developing. It's not improving. It's just sort of, you know, treading water again. So I think that that's your only hope for a a firing there.
0: Maybe this is a hot take, but I'd almost put money on Narduzzi getting fired before Dino Babers.
1: Ooh, that is a little bit spicy.
0: And the the reason why I think that is, who is Syracuse going to get that's better than Dino Babers? Unless you really believe that Dino Babers as a coach is not any good, which I don't believe. I don't believe that's the issue.
1: Yeah, no. And, I, I mean, it's what we've discussed in the past is if Dino Babers fails at Syracuse and they got to move on, is that a Dino Babers problem or is that a Syracuse problem? Who is that saying more about? Yeah, yeah I think it's a Syracuse problem, personally. Yeah, you're right. Um, probably worth mentioning, too, here, as we're talking about Narduzzi. Uh, we looked up, we were trying to figure out, you know, how long is Narduzzi under contract for?
0: <laughs> turns out he
1: might not really know. Um <laughs> There, there's Seriously, no, There is an article from right before the start of the 2019 season where he says, let me just tell you, I've never read my contract. <laughs> Why, you might ask? Because it's like 55 pages long. That's number one. <laughs> Dear God. Football guy, Mike. Football, Football guy.
0: guy. I'll do no reading.
1: Narduzzi's contract extension with Pitt brings him through the 2024 season, which he said he didn't know. Is that what it goes to? The coach questioned? That's good to hear. <laughs> he can't be serious, right? I... I just I got to tell you, Mike, that is I don't know what I expected from Pat Narduzzi, but it probably should have been that.
0: (laughs) Listen, I don't doubt that because I know they got like lawyers that are paid a lot of money to do what they do. I don't doubt that the lawyer just pulled out the key terms and said, here, this is what you need to know. The rest is just legal garbage. Mm -hmm. Right. Here's the here's the five or ten bullet points you need to know about this contract. Here is how long you're under contract for, which I know that he knows.
1: There's Mm -hmm. no way that
0: he didn't know when when his contract was up.
1: Come on. I mean, it is Pat Narduzzi. I mean, football, football
0: guy football guy. Uh, there so I mean five to ten bullet points you know here's how much money you're being paid here's how long you're under contract for here are the opt out years here's the buyout number here's how the buyout structure works like those are the aspects of the contract that the agent is going to tell Pat Narduzzi and I, I believe him when he said I didn't read 55 pages I do believe that he <laughs> signed on the dotted line he looked at the key terms he signed on the dotted line and that
1: was that all right, yeah. I'm not I'm not surprised. I'm just disappointed. We'll say that. Um so I don't believe him, Joey. When he says that he
0: when he says that he doesn't know when his contract ends, I do not believe him, he's full of crap. I, yeah. There's no way he doesn't know the answer to that.
1: Maybe. No shot. I don't know. I, I wouldn't be shocked. Um the point is he's he's under contract through twenty twenty four, so if you if you wait until after twenty twenty one, you still gotta buy out three years of that contract, and I don't know the exact language of you know, paid in full versus fifty percent of of a year or certain percentages, whatever. Um, but that that still stands to be three years of a coach's salary is still a hefty chunk of change. So that that has to be considered as well. Yeah. So, so there's Narduzzi, Babers, Doran. Then there's the the potential cut and run group that we're I think we're pretty comfortable putting Justin Fuente in at this point from Virginia Tech. There's been plenty of of you know signs we've seen so far that 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 is on the table. I think at some point, point. and then. The other one that we mentioned, and we've talked about this in the past, but I realistically don't know how realistic it is. Um, is, is Dave Clawson at Wake Forest like a guy who who seems like he has always outperformed everything he's he, he's been expected of, you know, there and has been a successful coach? And we've always said, you know, well, at some point somebody's going to come and pick him up. But then again, you know, you hear from guys like Connor O'Neill who's come on and said, I think he's pretty happy here. This is kind of the program that he wants to coach.
0: Yeah, let me talk about Fuente first, because I have more insight into Fuente, obviously, being a member of Tex media. So mm-hmm. let me let me talk about Fuente first. Uh, Fuente, when the Baylor job came up in the offseason and Fuente interviewed for it, there are mixed among media members in for Virginia Tech. There are mixed feelings about what that meant. Right. Did that mean that Justin Fuente was really looking to leave Blacksburg? which is usually what happens when you go and interview for another job. Or was this a play to get the athletic department to invest more in the football program at tech? Because what's come out since then is that Virginia tech is not spending nearly as much money um, on resources within recruiting specifically like they should as an ACC team. That's historically been very good. Virginia tech's recruiting department had two people, at the start of the 2018 season, two full-time resources. And mm-hmm. people are saying, oh, how could, how could Virginia Tech's recruiting department, You know, how could they be recruiting as poorly as they did in the 2020 class? Um, there are two people running full-time recruiting for Virginia Tech at the time. So since then, Virginia Tech has expanded the staff quite a bit. Um, they're hoping to announce a few new hires. That's neither here nor there. But a lot of the reason why that happened is because Justin Fuente – went and interviewed at Baylor and told with Babcock, this is what we need here. And that sent mixed messages, whether or not Fuente was looking for a job closer to home, which I think is likely, or was he looking to enhance resources at Virginia Tech? Why can't it be both? Why can't it be both, right? Why can't he be looking for a job closer to home? And why can't he also want a better job that he's in right now at Virginia Tech? So, Mm -hmm that's what i'll say about that i think that you know a lot of virginia tech fans and boosters were surprised that fuente was looking i was a bit surprised coming off of the last couple years that they had but then when you take a step back and think about it virginia tech hasn't recruited well in the state of virginia that we've documented that on this podcast
1: or just in general
0: or just and and then yeah that's what i was getting to next right they have the worst uh the worst recruiting class in the Power Five in 2020, which is a problem. Now, they had a few guys who have already contributed from the 2020 class and seem to be pretty good. Dorian Strong, a defensive back. Keontae Jenkins at safety, who have been good this year, who have already contributed. But the 2020 class on paper is the worst in the Power Five. And your Virginia Tech, historically, you've been a very good program. Now, we can have the conversation about how good they've been the last 10 years. I'm more than happy to have that because they aren't the program that they once were and they're trying to get back to that point. Uh, but will Fuente leave before we kind of find out the answer on the recruiting trail? Because if Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech's going to end up with a top 40 class this year, which is a step back in the right direction, but they're used to being somewhere between 20 and 25. That's kind of where they've been under Beamer and where they were in the first few years under Fuente. And they they weren't there last year being in the mid-70s, and they don't look like they're going to be there with the 2021 class. So at some point, the poor recruiting is going to catch up with you. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what we could potentially see here in the next year or two is Virginia Tech lose more of the games that we look at on paper and say, yeah, Virginia Tech's a better team. They should win that game, a la Wake Forest two weeks ago, where it's instead of having to be one game a year with Fuente, it's like two or three that you look at and you're like, Tech should have won that game. They didn't. And that spirals out of control. Does Fuente bail before it gets to that point? Or is Virginia Tech good enough from a player development standpoint that it doesn't get to that point? So that's that's kind of the loaded question there. With Dave Klaassen, real quick, you, you mentioned the Connor O'Neill interview. I thought that was interesting. Connor O'Neill obviously working on the Wake Forest beat. You know, talked about how happy Klaassen was uh, in Winston-Salem. I believe Connor, because he's more tied in than we are. But at the same time, I, I think that Klaassen should be garnering more consideration from bigger Power 5 programs than he has to this point. He was tied to that Tennessee job a couple years ago. Who knows how serious that actually was. Um, But, look, I think more big-time Power 5 programs should be taking a look at Dave Clawson. The reason I don't think they are is because he doesn't have experience recruiting well. Look at the schools that he's been at, though. That might not necessarily be his fault, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he hasn't... Wake Forest is, quote-unquote, like the best job he's had but he's performed as a coach everywhere that he's been. Yeah. So who's to say that he can't perform well in a big time power five job elsewhere. I think he can, if he got the right recruiting resources around him, because he could definitely coach and develop players and that's his MO for sure. But if he were to take a bigger job, it's going to be all about recruiting. And can he quell the, you know, the fear of some athletic directors who are looking at him and saying, man, I don't know if he's going to recruit well enough at this school. Yeah. that's the real question with him, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I I mean he, he is definitely a guy that I would label as a like a coach some ball kind of guy. Um, right, he, he's X's and O's scheme, um, like game planning kind of guy, more so than a CEO front man. You know, go recruit and uh, you know glad hand boosters and all that. So how how well that plays at certain bigger jobs, you know? And I think that's what what Connor mentioned a little bit was you know tying him to the Tennessee job a couple of years ago it's like i don't know that he really wants to go get in the middle of that whole booster rat race at Tennessee you know he's he's kind of been there done that and didn't really want any any part of it moving right. forward so right right un- understand that for sure but that could still you know you, you don't necessarily have to do that at every power 5 job that's bigger than wake forest you know so there's there, there's probably a little bit of trade off there um so those are those are the two guys that you could see cutting and running, but as mentioned, I mean there's plenty of reason to think that they wouldn't. Um, the other two guys, Mike, that we had mentioned from a coaching moves standpoint potentially, were retirement candidates. David Cutcliffe, I I do feel like, and there's been a, a couple of rumors here lately that there is some potential motion on that, even potentially this year, um, for David Cutcliffe to retire. And then the other one we got to mention. Mac Brown will be a seventy-year-old man going into next year. I mean, he, regardless of what you think he is, what he's doing, how well that program is going, any of it, like just in and of itself, Mac Brown is a retirement time bomb. It's it's going to happen at some point. It's just a matter of when. Um, So I I don't. I I really, really don't think that they'll fire him before he retires. But at some point, it does feel like they're probably gonna. He's going to retire, and I'm just guessing they'll make Phil Longo the head coach uh, of that team. So you know, we'll see.
0: Yeah, David Cutcliffe's the best coach that Duke's ever had, um, so he's going to have as long as he wants. But I think he'll retire in the next two years. That wouldn't shock me. Um, Steve Wiseman, actually, we had him on in the preseason, talked about Duke, and he said that, you know, Cutcliffe really enjoys coaching, but it wouldn't shock him if he retired in the next few years. Yeah, which I think is, I, I think a likely scenario. He's a little bit younger um, than Mac Brown, mm-hmm. but. I think it's certainly possible he can retire soon. Yep. And as far as Mac Brown is concerned, I don't think he retires in the next two years. But it wouldn't surprise me if we got a coach in waiting type announcement with with either Jay Bateman or Phil Longo or whoever as the next North Carolina coach if they continue on the trajectory they're on because they're going to they're going to want to keep as much of that coaching staff together as possible. Yep. Um, when Mac Brown does inevitably retire within the next five years, whenever that is, but I, I don't think Mac Brown retires in the next two years unless something drastic happens.
1: Yep. Yep. So, that was three fire candidates, uh, two cut-and-run candidates, and two retire candidates. And so, Mike, I, I would say of those, I I would just guess by the time we start the 2022 season, there's probably three of those that have opened. Yeah. It's probably fair. So, and and, and agree with the original question here of, I, you know, I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot of movement after this year. I just... Mm. The way that these buyouts are structured, it's not its not like you get any relief because we didn't have any fans in the stands this year. It's not like, you know, the, right. the, these universities are still on the hook for however many millions of dollars, regardless of what their revenue turned into. And so we could have the conversation about is the is the bubble bursting a little bit on coach buyouts and, and contract structures and all that. But mm-hmm. that's a separate thing. Uh, um, I do think there will be movement on probably, yeah, probably about three. And I expect it will be these jobs unless you get a surprise hiring elsewhere of like, you know, Scott Satterfield being hired somewhere else or something like that. You right. Know? But, um, I, as for how this f- translates to Pittsburgh being able to hire, I I don't think I would worry that much about it just from like a crowding standpoint. I mean, and that's, that's just three in the ACC. Obviously there will certainly, almost certainly be more in the SEC and the Big Ten and in this, you know, programs and conferences that have more money and more resources and, and right. can hire a little better, but I don't think I would worry about it. I think that there's there are guys in the region, you know, that are probably ready to take a step up and and run this type of program and could probably do it a little bit better. I mean, look at multiple MAC coaches, right? There's Jason Candle at Toledo. There's Lance Leipold at Buffalo. Both have been, you know, pretty successful guys, you know, long term. Like those are good candidates. That I don't know that I would see a, a Big Ten job, you know, trying to trying to go make a run at them either.
0: Yeah, my my guess would be after this season. The most likely opening you have would be Duke if Kyle Cliff were to retire. Yeah, I don't think I would be surprised if there are any actual true fire candidates after 2020. Just the nature of the season has been bad. You had limited off season, no spring practice. I mean, the coaches are in a really tough situation this year. They are. Um you well, don't know who's available week to week. I mean, it's a lot of stuff to evaluate with that.
1: And financially, I mean, how many of these athletic departments are laying people off and all this stuff? Exactly. Like, to then just commit to a several million dollar buyout would be a horrible look.
0: Right. Right. I mean, it's tough. And then you're going to hire a new coach for millions of dollars when you're laying off the rest of your, laying off or furloughing members of your athletic department. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's a tough sell for boosters when you're taking away jobs of people who work behind the scenes, don't get all the shine. That's, that's a tough pill for a lot of athletic departments to swallow, I would think. But yeah. who's to say? And, and the, the one other thing that, that you mentioned that I just want to kind of emphasize, I don't think that there are a lot of higher away candidates in the ACC. Like we talked about and potentially Fuente. I, I don't think there are really any others who I would look at right now and say – That guy's going to get hired away and go to a different program. I mean, Norvell just got to Florida State. You know, Dabo's not leaving Clemson. Dabo did the NFL stuff; is so tired.
1: Like,
0: that's not. I I just really don't see that happening. And maybe we come back. Maybe we come back in a few months. I'm just totally off base with that. But I think that's ridiculous. And um, there Satterfield just got to Louisville. Like there are a lot of good coaches in the ACC that have just got there. And Joey, I think some Georgia Tech fans might be listening to this be asking about Jeff Collins so can you give your take on Jeff Collins and why he isn't on any of these lists and there are going to be some angry Georgia Tech fans say oh fire him fire him fire him yeah but what level set this for us
1: no he's he's got like five years left on his contract after this I I actually kind of weirdly truly believe that he doesn't really aspire to a bigger job than this one unless it's I mean it's got to be like you know a top 10 job in the country probably you're talking about a Florida or take over at Alabama for Saban or something you know crazy like that I think that would maybe kind of catch his attention. I mean he's an, he's an Atlanta guy and seems to really genuinely love love the city and love the program so I I don't think that he aspires to much much bigger but again this is he, he's got so much time left. Georgia Tech is in no financial spot to be paying that buyout like that's just not it's just not a a thing that's going to happen like like it or not we're stuck with this guy for a number of years um, you might see some staff changes in this that and the other that hopefully results in different performance but right uh, yeah he, he's not going anywhere anytime soon
0: yeah maybe by 2022 we're able to put him in in a bucket here that we talked about obviously not retire he's pretty young but yeah. we put him in a bucket with a fire or bolt elsewhere if the going's real good at georgia tech that would be best case scenario for georgia tech almost as if yeah. he's getting the program humming well enough that he's in consideration for other jobs across the country then the yeah. program's in a great spot, and then Jeff Collins is in a great spot if he stays at Georgia Tech or if he goes elsewhere. I mean, that that's best case scenario, truthfully, for Georgia Tech.
1: Yeah, if you're doing well enough that Alabama or Florida or, you know, take your pick of programs wants to hire you away from Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech's gonna be okay. Yeah, they'll be just fine. That that'll you know you're doing all right at that point. So yeah, yeah I don't think he's a candidate at all either. Um, and then you, you you know you look at other guys like Bronco Mendenhall. I don't think that he's a big aspirational guy you know how long did he sit at BYU Um I, I don't think he aspires yeah. to big you know big time jobs you know any bigger time than, than what he's already got um, Manny Diaz I don't want I mean why would anybody hire him away and why would he leave Miami you know there's there's a number of these that it seems like it's it's either going to be a long-term thing or it's going to end up in a, in a real disappointment and you know I yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying I, I'm kind of with you that I could see in a couple of years, you know, someone coming for Mike Norvell or coming for Scott Satterfield or coming for Jeff Hafley or something like that. But yeah, right now, no, that's not that's not really in the cards. I don't think.
0: Yeah, and folks got to remember. I mean, there have been a lot of new hires recently in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, think about even right. I mean, the last five years, you got Fuente in, you got Mendenhall in, you got Dino Babers in, Satterfield, Norvell, Jeff Collins. Uh, you know, you got guys who have been elsewhere that have come into these programs and they're pretty new. Um, I I don't think I even mentioned Jeff Halfley. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of new coaches in the ACC. So it's really tough. I mean, I mean, we did our best there to bucket those six guys, but it's tough to really say that there's going to be mass coaching changes, just given the turnover we've seen in the conference over the last five years.
1: Yeah. Uh, Last thing before we move on, Mike, and and I do want to ask you this just once one more time, kind of going back to honor the original question. If you are a coaching candidate here in in a year or two and Pittsburgh has fired Pat Narduzzi because he can't really do a whole lot better than, you know, seven and five with a bowl win. How attractive of a job is Pittsburgh as compared to some of these other ones that we're talking about?
0: Well, it's certainly more attractive than Syracuse.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Right. Um, I think Dino Baber's biggest mistake was going to Syracuse. Might have been. And. Maybe he was so confident in his offensive system, but the best coaches can't win with, without some players. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you see that at every level, college or pro. I mean, Nick Saban went to the NFL, couldn't win because he didn't have players with the Dolphins. Bill Belichick has had a 20-year run in New England, and they're struggling this year because they don't have any players or cap-strapped. Like Even the best coaches that we see on, on different levels, like they don't always win, without players they don't almost ever win without play good players yeah and these guys can all play or develop but only to a certain extent and i think syracuse's biggest issue is that it's such a hard place to recruit to Mm -hmm. in, in you know upstate new york it's hard to get guys to go there and your most fertile recruiting ground if you're a syracuse fan is in the northeast well there's not a lot of high school good high school football good high school prospects in the northeast there's plenty of high school football but not guys that you would recruit to play in ACC in the Atlantic division every year well but from go that up from that standpoint State. I mean
1: Pittsburgh's in a pretty good spot I think like you can get some guys at Pittsburgh Pennsylvania and Ohio right. is
0: really good
1: high New school jersey football.
0: New yeah. Jersey got some really good high school football Pittsburgh historically has kind of reached into DMV obviously and, and Virginia's got some good prospects And Maryland around Baltimore area got some really good prospects
1: and that's before DC. you do the thing everybody else does and go into Georgia and Florida like
0: yeah no no kidding and uh, you know the the area around Pittsburgh I think what makes Pittsburgh attractive and you bring up a great point is where they are in western PA and the state of Pennsylvania has great high school football Ohio obviously northern Ohio probably one of the best areas to recruit in the country for high school football certainly one of the most underrated areas everybody talks about california florida texas upstate ohio has excellent high school football Mm -hmm. nationally ranked high school teams Mm -hmm. so that's a great place to recruit pittsburgh's not far obviously from northern ohio um pennsylvania's great new jersey's got really good football and the dmv's got great football dc maryland and virginia so yeah, I think Pitt's an attractive job because of that, and I think they invest more in their football program. I know they invest more in their football program than Syracuse does. Um, Pittsburgh is a football school; they're not a basketball school. Right? And that's what's difficult about the Syracuse job, for example. In yeah. comparison,
1: the other thing I'll add in there is that I mean Pittsburgh's on the side of the conference that you really want to be on right now. That's another part of it. Yeah, you're not playing Clemson every year, uh, for better or worse. You know, you you get the side of the the conference that's. Loaded with a whole bunch of teams that are very up or very down in any given year, and you know it's it's very much there for the taking. So from a, a selling the job standpoint, like it would be easy for me to sell that job to a candidate is like you know you come in here and establish your program and within two or three years, you're playing for ACC championships. Like it's very Pittsburgh. Doable. Pittsburgh went seven and six a couple of years ago and won the Coastal. Yeah. Seven
0: teams in seven years is not an accident. That's what this you're is a division. <laughs> this is a division that can absolutely be won. Yep. Like. Miami's on their way back. Virginia Tech's playing better football this year. North Carolina's certainly playing well, but this is a wide open division. Mm-hmm. Um in in a in a normal year, obviously. Yeah. So, I think those are good selling points for Pittsburgh. I think it's an attractive job, mm-hmm. especially if you're uh if you're a Group of 5 coach looking to kind of jump into a Power 5 job. Pittsburgh's a decent landing spot just yeah. because of, you know, where you can recruit and the way that they care and the and the fan base cares about the football program.
1: Yeah absolutely so the long and short of it if if that Pittsburgh job is to open even if there is a a really you know flooded job market of of open jobs and a a big crazy coaching carousel I think Pittsburgh's in in decent shape there that is a job you can sell to people that is a a good job they invest in their program lots of good things there so I would say if if nothing else I wouldn't be worried right now that you couldn't find anybody better than Pat Narduzzi I think there's a chance you could
0: Agree. There's a chance. There's a chance you could, and the job I think is attractive enough to bring in a guy who can play just play the same same level of defense. Truthfully, because Pittsburgh's defense over Narduzzi's tenure, if you look at it from start to finish so far, or start to where they're at now, has not been as expected. It really hasn't. Mm-hmm. Like you expected a really really good defense to an elite defense under Pat Narduzzi, you really haven't gotten that. So you could bring in a coaching candidate who has a level of defensive prowess that is putting you on par with what they've done throughout Narduzzi's tenure and upgrade the offense, in my opinion. Yep. So if you want to pull the trigger, not saying don't pull the trigger. I think you can get a guy in who can who can bring this team to another level. It's just a matter of what that ceiling is actually going to be.
1: I also would never go so far as to promise you that it'll work.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, we thought Narduzzi was a good hire, and he's been fine, but... I don't think he's been as good as expected. Certainly with the defense.
1: Anytime you change coaches, it is it is always going to be some degree of a crapshoot. You you can't ever guarantee anything. So that's right. Always be careful what you wish for with changing coaches. Uh, Mike Townsend White on Twitter: uh, Which teams, coaches, or players were helped most by the COVID year, sort of wiping out any expectations? To me, Bronco getting to rebuild in, in a COVID year was huge. Four and eight was probably the ceiling in a normal year, which probably would have been a deflated balloon following the Orange Bowl. I. I disagree with that. I think that they could have still made a bowl game this year. You are seeing it's—it's kind of funny. We're—we were were talking before we came on here and saying like, well, I I feel like Virginia's been playing pretty well, and I'd kind of forgotten they were two and four. (laughs) Um, Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But you know, they coming off a big upset win over North Carolina, like they've dealt with a lot. Um, So that's that's definitely you know for them, it was always going to be a little bit of a rebuild, a reset year. That um, really has only been exacerbated by COVID and a couple of injuries at key spots. And just, I mean, anything that could could make this year tougher for Virginia has. Um, so there's there's that to consider. Uh, one of the teams I look at a little bit is Florida State. I think, you know, as much as they've had issues having any sort of offseason practice organization, like, at all, um, you know, realizing that this rebuild is going to be a little bit tougher than, than it ever would be. Um, we talked about one of the teams that might have helped a little bit from like a scheduling perspective is Boston College. yep, they've they've gone three and two against normal coastal teams that they would have only ever played maybe two of right. Um, so so there's that. I don't know, it's hard because you look at the bottom of this conference right now and it's a Syracuse team that was maybe in for it either way. A Duke team that I don't really know what their expectations were to begin with. And a Louisville team that, well, it's it's year two, you know, a little bit of a letdown, uh, you know, tough. tough probably year over.
0: Yeah, probably overachieved in year one, truthfully.
1: Probably. Yeah. And now underachieving a little bit, um, but probably a little bit of luck involved there, too. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it is interesting kind of sitting here in the middle of all of it and trying to figure out, like, how is all of this like COVID versus just, you know, kind of what we thought the year might be versus, you know, bad luck that kind of thing. I don't know. It's kind of hard to answer this question, Mike.
0: It is because you can attack it a few different ways. I think you've done a nice job doing that. The, the thing is, like, with some of these ACC teams that would benefit from the schedule, like you mentioned Boston College, and, uh, you know, we, you got to really go searching through the schedules because there was really no rhyme or reason with the way the ACC kind of put this together this year mm-hmm. from a revised schedule standpoint. Um, outside of it being a 10 and one model where you're playing 10 conference games and one non-con, like there was no real rhyme or reason to who was playing who, uh, there were talks about it being, you know, teams being put in pods and, you know, this and that ended up just being like just a random hodgepodge of games for most teams. And with that comes luck at the draw to an extent. We've talked about how tough wake forest schedule is down the stretch, uh, we've talked about Virginia had a really tough schedule to start the year as part of the reason why their record is what it is. Mm-hmm. So certain teams got by uh, better than others. One of those teams being North Carolina not having to draw Clemson, mm-hmm. for example. Um, but that's not to say that a team like Boston College gets to play the what we would, I guess, classify as the weaker of the two divisions. Um, in the coastal Boston College draws a lot of coastal opponents and the coastal has had seven different teams win in seven years. It's been a total disaster. So I think it really depends on how you kind of attack this. From a scheduling standpoint, it's totally dependent on who's playing who and who everybody drew was kind of luck at the draw. From a standpoint of and, and it's a little windy here, Joey. So hopefully the wind's not picking up too much on the mic right now. Nope, you're good. Oh cool. All right, perfect. Uh, <laughs> and, and then from a uh from a coaching standpoint, I, I think You know, Jeff Halfley, if you think about from Boston College's standpoint, you had no spring practice, you had a modified fall, and Jeff Halfley and Boston College, I think it's safe to say, they're overachieving in year one. Mm -hmm. But for other programs, like Mike Norvell at Florida State, you would look at him and say, man, he had no spring practice. He didn't really have, you know, it's a modified fall camp, and that's really tough in year one. Virginia Tech totally changed in the defensive scheme. In year one, and lose all those players to COVID. Mm-hmm. Like, it really just depends on how you look at it. Um, and I think there's no real rhyme or reason to it. I think it's a pretty even playing field. But I do think, regardless of record, regardless of, like, win-losses outcome, I think it has been tougher on coaching staffs that are brand new or coordinators that are new within the conference to produce results. Yeah. And, you know, Boston College, being you know, having a new coach, they've had more success in Florida State. Virginia Tech's defense was not very good, but overall, like from a record standpoint, they've been fine and maybe a little bit better than a lot of people expect them to be this year. So yep. there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just kind of 2020 and luck of the draw
1: in a lot of ways. The other team I'll bring up here, and it was something that uh, is Georgia Tech, my, my Yellow Jackets, and something that Kelly Quinlan mentioned in our preview before the season is that, there's a very real chance that Jeff Collins was going to t- treat this whole season like an episode of who, whose line is it anyway? I mean, everything's made up. Points don't matter. Records don't matter. Like, it's all – you don't know when the season's going to end or, or begin or any of this stuff. So, like, from that standpoint, they've treated it like that and just played a whole bunch of freshmen and taken some lumps but getting some guys some reps and, and some game experience that – a, I mean, that looks good to other recruits. It's like, hey, guys are playing early. But B, it's it, it helps to build the program for future years. So I, I think from that standpoint, from an expectations standpoint, it, it's kind of twisting the question a little bit. But it's, it's almost like the expectations didn't really matter this year. And so Georgia Tech is kind of treating it that way of just, you know, play your true freshman quarterback, play your true freshman running back, play your true freshman right tackle, play, you know, freshman on defense, like some freshman receivers on offense, like all this stuff. Um, so clearly that's getting baked into some of the logic I think going on at, at some of these different places. Yeah, totally agree with that. So, uh, Mike, that's all the Twitter questions we've got. We've got a couple more things on, uh, on the email. You want to hit those? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's start. We, we, we kind of answered this a little bit towards the end of one of our recent episodes, but Mr. Keith Derrick, uh, sent us an email. was pretty excited about the black watch uniforms that Georgia Tech wore, uh, last weekend against Notre Dame. And I thought they looked really good. Actually. I, I was impressed. I, I was Nervous and and I felt like they were going to look kind of silly and then I felt like the play on the field was going to look kind of silly and, and it didn't it was all you know it all kind of worked out so that was good um, but he said my question is do you think these special uniforms help hype up the players or for any of that or is this just for the fans um, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on it but I mentioned towards the end of the show I I felt like you know this is the kind of thing that they'll be really excited about coming out of the tunnel and you know in the first couple drives of the first quarter but. By middle of the second quarter and into the third quarter, you better have something else going to, to excite you because I, I just don't think that's really a, a lasting, uh, a yeah. lasting feeling. We'll say.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk from experience at Virginia Tech. The last couple of years at Beamer, it seemed like the most exciting part of every Saturday was seeing what uniforms Virginia Tech was wearing because the play on the field was so mediocre.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: you don't you don't want to get to that point. The uniforms only matter if the players like them for a bit, and that's great. And they're hyped up. And they're wearing sweet uniforms, but. You know, once the ball is put down on the field and you snap it (laughs) and toe toe meets leather in the opening kickoff, it's all about executing. Yep. So I don't think it matters at all. I I think just come ready to play and doesn't, you know, you could be wearing shorts and a couple T-shirts.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then he also says, do you feel like the record represents how good or bad this Georgia Tech team actually is halfway through the season? Wow. Um. I it is so hard to say, and this team in particular has been so wildly inconsistent from game to game. Yeah, that's what makes this all really tough. I think. Um, yeah, I agree. I, and I think that honestly, the record probably represents that pretty well. I mean, they've had they're two and four in conference, two and five overall. They they lost to UCF out of conference. I mean, you had a win over Florida State that I, I wouldn't say that hasn't aged well, but Florida State clearly not you know the program they were 10 years ago right you had a win over a Louisville team on a Friday night that you know you you got plus three in turnovers and Louisville has also been a bit of a mess so far this year you also lost to Syracuse and you kind of got blown out by Boston College neither of those look really good at all Um, you, you found a way to give up 52 points in the first half to Clemson so it's been very much a roller coaster, is what I'm saying here, Mike, and, and that inconsistency I think is kind of reflected here in the record. Um, I, I don't I don't think that they were ever going to be a whole lot better than this from a record standpoint. It's more just the how that has been maybe a little bit disappointing at times. We'll say.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you looked at the schedule before the season and through seven games, you saw you saw Georgia Tech sitting at two and five, two and four in conference play. I don't think that would
1: shock you at all. Probably would have been okay with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I, I think from that standpoint, you're 100% correct. It, it's not about, to me, it's not about the record. It's about how you look in the games you play. And I talked about this a little bit on the recap, and you spoke about how you were happy, or at least <laughs> moderately okay, with Georgia Tech's performance against Notre Dame. Sure. Compared to what happened against Clemson, which was an absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all about how you look. Right. There are plenty of teams who have won games throughout the years who have looked really good and then they play a real team and get stopped. And it's it's about winning games at the end of the day, like I've mentioned, but it's all about how you look too. Like mm-hmm. how do you look winning the games you're supposed to win? How do you look in the games you're supposed to lose as well? You can learn a lot about a team from how you lose games too. Yeah. So from that standpoint, totally with you. It's been a total roller coaster for Georgia Tech. They played much better against Notre Dame than they did against Clemson, two different game plans, one definitely didn't work. The other worked moderately well insofar as Georgia Tech just didn't get blown out from the opening stab against yeah. Notre Dame, which is good. Um, so it's all about how you look. And that's been a total mixed bag for Georgia Tech. But from a pure wins and losses standpoint, this is exactly why I thought Georgia Tech would be this year.
1: Yeah, that's probably pre- pretty much spot on. And it's, it's what I've said for a long time, Mike. <laughs> I, at this point in my life, I feel like I have grown up and I've matured a little bit to the point that I don't get angry when Georgia Tech loses I do get angry when they play like hell. Like they, they look yep. horrible. That's that's what yeah. makes me upset. Um, right. So, you know, keep that in mind. That's hopefully a, a fair assessment. Um so yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the record is appropriate. I think the how maybe not as much in, in, in all cases. So right. for what that's worth. Um and then also he asks on Thursday mornings, can we get Red Bull Mike or beer drinking Mike to make an appearance? <sighs> so let let me start here.
0: I don't podcast. <laughs> I don't podcast for a job. And even though I'm a member of the Virginia Tech Media Corps, I don't do that as a full time job either.
1: If you guys would so, rate and review and share this podcast a whole hell of a lot, maybe we could do podcasting for a job.
0: That would be great. And you know, you wouldn't have to go into work as much, and It'd you be can hang awesome. out with Charlie and Calvin. It would be great, and I I wouldn't have to go into work at all. It would be awesome. <laughs> it would be absolutely fantastic. So yeah, rate, review, subscribe. Like we said, vote for us. Uh, basketball conference twenty twenty, Joey.
1: And until then, we can't be drinking on Thursday mornings. So there's correct. That.
0: Yeah, yeah. So not to be bewildered the point, but yeah, that's uh can't be drinking on Thursday mornings. Fair and I, I'm not I'm not much of a Red Bull guy anyway, so you'll get me full <laughs> coffee strong, which is what I am this morning.
1: Mike, we got an email from Shane Del Solar. We we hadn't heard from him in a while, so thanks for sending this in, Shane. And by the way, thank you for your email, Keith. We appreciate that. Uh, Shane says, so I looked around at the start of the season to see which conferences were and weren't playing. And early on, it turned out that honorary ACC team B- Bowling Green was not going to be playing, but now they are. Any chance you could cover them at some point? To which I say, Mike, yes. Yeah, the Scott Leffler-Bowling Green Falcons. Is he Brian still Van Van Gorder? Gorder? God, I don't know. I hope not. Did he con Scott Leffler into keeping him for a second year? I don't know. Let's find out. Um, anyways, That
0: defense was pretty bad last year.
1: Bowling Green opens their season tomorrow night at 8 o'clock on ESPNU, taking on the Toledo Rockets, Mike. With
0: Brian Van Gorder as defensive coordinator, confirmed.
1: Toledo is a 22-point favorite at home in the Glass Bowl, uh, and that is actually truly what the stadium is called, if you weren't aware. Uh, Mike, I think we're on the Rockets.
0: Yeah, Toledo by a ton. Yeah.
1: Uh, Bowling Green last year... Finished the year, uh, what was it? Uh, three and nine, two and six in conference. They lost five of their fa- their last six games. Only win was against a pretty terrible Akron team. So uh, go Falcons. Good try.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call myself a Falcons fan, but I'd call myself a Falcons enthusiast.
1: I'm. Um, I'm gonna leave that alone because I'm just gonna set myself up for disappointment and embarrassment if I talk about being a Falcons fan. So I
0: was gonna say uh, I- I'm talking about Bowling Green Falcons, not yeah. the Atlanta Falcons.
1: Very specific. Ha-
0: yeah, you have a you have a different answer to that question I just posed.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, check that out. See how it goes. I'm sure it'll go great. Brian Van Gorder, year two of that defense. It can't possibly be worse.
0: Yes, it can. Oh,
1: okay, all right. <laughs> it uh, definitely can. <laughs> And then Shane also mentions, been kind of treating this as a throwaway year for Georgia Tech. Realizing we're bad, hoping we'll be bit less bad next year. Can we go bowling next year? I hope it turns out Georgia Tech is not the next Tennessee, but I see the potential for it, and that's not good. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, I think that's on the table. Yeah, bowling next I mean, year?
0: Bowling, bowling next year is definitely on the table because the non-conference schedule will be back. We yeah, think.
1: Well, let me pull it up. For next year, and they play against Northern Illinois, Kennesaw State. They go to Notre Dame and they get Georgia. So so that's two and two. It damn well better be two and two, Mike, because (laughs) Kennesaw State for sure could go in there and beat you at home. That's that is on the table. (laughs) Should be two and two. Yeah. And then you got games at Duke. You get Boston College back at home. Uh, You know, Pittsburgh, who knows what they'll be. Virginia Tech's at home. uh, At Virginia. I think you can probably find six wins on that schedule. It's it's doable if this program is developing, we'll say.
0: Yeah, you're talking about Kennesaw State the way that a lot of Virginia Tech fans are talking about Liberty this weekend mm-hmm. for the Hokies. Um, obviously, Liberty being a bit better. But, yep. yes, that's uh, they damn well better beat Liberty in year five under Fuente.
1: That's correct.
0: You better beat Kennesaw State in year three under Jeff Collins. You
1: damn well better.
0: <laughs> Don't need a uh, another Citadel appearance. That would be...
1: I don't know. Like, I, I think the law. Lo- well, so the, the loss to Kennesaw State would be worse from a local standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That, that wouldn't be good. But that's that's that is a losable game as we stand here right now. So be careful. Kennesaw State's certainly better than the Al. I think so. Yeah. I mean, they've been an yeah. FCS playoff team a number of years. So, yep. Once again, be careful. Not to mention the uh, the embarrassment that would come with a triple option team coming in and beating you again. Man, that, you want to talk about fracturing the fan base. <laughs> Big yes. Like it's like the ghost of Paul Johnson. Mm-hmm. Once again, just continuing to, to haunt them. So anyways. Yeah, he's
0: not, he's not dead. He's still alive. Absolutely. So <laughs> yeah. I want to be clear about that.
1: Yeah. Um, Mike, last one we got. Mr. Alexander Bushrow emails us. And, and there's no real question here, but I just thought this was a really cool email that we got. He says, Mike and Joey, been listening for three plus years from out here in Shanghai, China. Expat baby, that's right. Lifelong Clemson fan and an 0-9 graduate. Uh, he was excited after the game uh, against Boston College. I I think he was excited just that it was an exciting game, not so much that they almost lost. But right, um, he's requesting "Go DJ" from Manny Fresh or Lil Wayne, anyways. You know the song, and that is a direct quote. Um, we could do that. So yeah, we we need to probably use that for the. Uh, <laughs> I guess we could maybe save it for the outro uh, or the uh, the, uh, the the recap podcast. Yep, just in case they uh, they win, but. Uh, just also says, also want to express how not sorry I am for the 70, 73 to 7 beat down of the jackets administered a couple weeks ago. I remember vividly 2000 and 2004 and 05 and 07 and 08 and 09 and 09 again and 11 and 14 <laughs> and now I'm angry. <laughs> so, yep. Uh, each and every drop of blood is sweet and also savory with a hint of umami as well. Whatever that is. Cheers. Alex, it got a little bit weird at the end, uh, but I appreciate you writing in. Well done. Uh, thank you, and, and thank you for your support from all the way uh, in China. That is that is really cool.
0: Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, our reach is a lot broader than we expected it to be, I think, at this stage.
1: We have always known this is a global global podcast. It is a podcast for the people of everywhere in the world, we'll say.
0: Yes, those, <laughs> those English football fans stumbling upon an ACC football, American football
1: podcast. You know, that's that I'm correct. sure that happens too. Called Basketball Conference. Yeah, that's right. We are nothing if not marketing geniuses. That's, that's correct. Uh, Mike, I think that's all I've got in the way of questions. Uh, anything else that we need to cover before we uh, come back and start previewing some games?
0: uh rate review subscribe i keep hammering that point but please do that please let us know on twitter tweet at us send us an email whatever it may be whatever's easiest let us know if you want to do more of these because joey and i are certainly open to to doing more mailbags like joey mentioned off the top uh the season becomes monotonous right you get the preview you get the recap and you know we're left in the middle of the week kind of thinking of new ideas for off-season stuff and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. but if you guys want to do more mailbag stuff in season with different topics let us know let us know if you enjoyed this that'll be really helpful um email us tweet us rate review all that good stuff
1: and mike we can't do the mailbags without mail so correct yes send us emails send us emails send us stuff on twitter whatever you know facebook comments facebook message the uh, dms are open dms are open absolutely always and and forever maybe not forever we'll see how it goes um but for now they definitely are open so please do that yep uh mike Let's get out of here and come back and recap some games. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Preview some games. Goodness gracious! Yeah, preview. Uh, yeah, my brain is mush. I've got a toddler and it's election day, so it's going great. Bourbon. Uh, yeah, helps later. Helps a lot later because once again, we're not professional podcasters.
0: Yeah, we. Yeah, we. <laughs> we can't drink until like two o'clock.
1: Yeah. So, uh, we'll, we'll we'll come back and do that later. How about that? That sounds good. <laughs> All right, Mike. We'll talk soon and uh, preview some Week Nine action. How's that? Yeah, that sounds good. All right, we'll talk to you then. All right, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ATC.